0: going to continue in Joshua last week we introduced the book of Joshua we gave the background and we're still gonna be in Joshua 1 this week um, so you know I know last time we didn't read a whole lot out of Joshua 1 since we were doing kind of the background and the introduction but this morning we're gonna start we're gonna read the first nine verses of Joshua um, and then we're just gonna go into a time of prayer Joshua 1:1. after the death of Moses the servant of the Lord the Lord said to Joshua the son of Nun, Moses's assistant Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. We thank you that you go with us, that you fight for us, and really that you have gone before us. And we thank you that the battle is promised. The victory is guaranteed. We've read the last chapter. We've seen how this story ends. So, Lord, we ask that you would teach us to be strong and courageous until we reach that point, until we reach that victory that you have given us. God, we thank you for how you equip us. We thank you for how you position us. We thank you that nothing in this life is accidental or meaningless. So, Lord, teach us how to live for you in everything. And now, as we study your word, God, we ask that it would be led by you, that this would be a continuation of our worship, that our hearts would be open to you and submitted to you. We want you to be praised in this time. And we want to come away with this, knowing more of you, knowing more of Jesus, seeing who we are to be like Mold us to look like Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a quick refresher on the themes of Joshua. If, if you weren't here last week, if you're online and you missed last week, or if you're here and you missed last week, uh, we looked at a couple themes. We outlined a couple themes of Joshua. And the first one, you may, if you're if you're detail-oriented, you may be thinking, wait a minute, that first one wasn't on the Theme slide last week. And you're right, it wasn't. That's because we're kind of treating it like the subtitle of this series. And the first theme that we see in Joshua, and these are all things that are important to keep in mind as we go through this book, as you go through this reading plan. The first theme we see is that God fights for his people. And then the second theme we see is that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. We looked at that specifically last week, even in the first three verses of Joshua, we see God's faithfulness. The third theme, uh, God positions his people for his plan and to be a testimony around them. And we looked at how God deliberately positions his people. And when he positions his people, he's not doing so and leaving his people out to dry. We looked at Joshua's life. We looked at how Joshua's backstory and experiences led up to this culmination of God positioning him to be in a place to lead. And how God had equipped Joshua to prepare him for this positioning is a theme we'll see throughout Joshua then you see that in response to God's faithfulness, in response to God fighting for his people, in response to God positioning us deliberately, really our response is is pretty simple. We're just to live in obedience rooted in faith in Yahweh. And we're gonna look at that more in depth today, this idea of living a life of a courageous response that is grounded in the person and the promises of Yahweh. But this is the fourth theme of Joshua. And then finally, the last theme of Joshua that we see is the real battle is spiritual. And we have to keep that in mind, that the real battle in all of this is spiritual. And so if we're fighting a spiritual war, we have to be prepared to fight spiritually. And that's what we're going to start to look at today. Because last week when we did the introduction, we looked at these promises of God. We looked at the person of God, the nature of God, as we established the groundwork, the framework for Joshua. And now we look at the first nine verses as a whole, and you see one command pop up three times in nine verses. Like, even, when I, even on my slower days when, it's, when I'm really being thick-headed and stubborn and I'm not paying attention, if I see God mention something three times in nine verses, that's going to wake me up and I'm going to pay attention to that. So what do we see God lay out three times in these first nine verses? A very simple and straightforward command. He says, be strong and courageous. That's simple. Be strong and courageous. Who wants to be considered a weak person? And I'm not talking about humble weakness, like, Lord, in my weakness, you are strong. But if I described you, if, if you overheard me say like, oh yeah, and I'm gonna throw Tim under the bus because Tim knows I don't think about him like this. But if Tim overheard me saying to Steve, oh yeah, Tim, that's a, he's just a weak dude. Like weak character, weak-minded, weak-willed. He's, he's just a weak individual. Tim, would you feel good about that? Not so much. Would anyone feel good if I described you as a weak-willed, weak-minded, weak weak character person? So if I see God tell me, be strong, I'm like, okay, I I need to understand this. I wanna understand what he is telling me to do. So I started looking at what does it mean when God says, be strong and courageous? What is he talking about? And that word that God used there, be strong, it literally translates to be firm, be resolute, be steadfast, be immovable biblical strength is a resolute spirit it's a resolute character and this is an incredibly common exhortation and challenge for God's people listen to these verses 1st Corinthians 15 58 therefore my beloved brothers be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Listen to this passage in Ephesians. This is Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. I quote Ephesians four eleven frequently. This is the verse that's talking about why the leadership of the church was given to the church. The leadership of the church was given to the church to equip the people to do the work of the ministry. But when you go on in Ephesians 4, you see what that means, what that equipping looks like. This is Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so it's building these verses are they're leading up to this this final answer right he gave them the leadership to equip the saints for the work of the ministry to achieve full maturity what is that that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. One of the primary purposes of the church as laid out in God's word is to equip the people to be immovable. To equip the people to, what's it say? To no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves. Have you guys ever seen, you know, if you're in the ocean and you're playing with like a football, or like my family, we always bring a football into the ocean, you know, so you can do the diving catches and you can look like a hero, you know, catching it with one hand, right? But when you miss, which I never do, I catch every pass. My brother and dad are terrible. They drop every pass. I'm like the greatest. No, I'm the one who drops it. My brother's actually got really good, he's really good at catching. That's, I don't, I'm, I'm diverging but right like so when my brother passes me the football and i die for it and i miss it and it lands in the water does it stay in one place no why because it's not immovable it's not steadfast it's tossed to and fro by the waves it's carried about whichever way the waves are going to take it in ephesians paul lays out look the purpose one of the purposes of the church is to equip its people so that they may grow up in maturity and not be tossed about by the waves so that they may be immovable. You also see this in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And then Ephesians 6, 11 through 13. Put on the whole armor of God. Why So in these verses, we see the theme of Joshua. We see theme number five, that the real battle is spiritual. But we also see time and time again that God calls his people, starting with this very clear example where he uses the deliberate words, be strong to Joshua. We see that time and time again, God has called his people to be resolute to be immovable to not be when you look at that passage in ephesians what did it say tossed about by the waves being subjected to every cunning deceit in every doctrine that comes your way we're to be the opposite of that we're to hear false doctrine and to know no that's garbage i want nothing to do with it because my feet are firmly planted in the truth because i am strong i am steadfast i am resolute i am immovable this is what God lays out for Joshua. This is what God continues to, throughout Scripture, lay out from us. So in my mind, as I'm working through these passages, as I'm working through these verses, looking at this encouragement of God fighting for his people, I see that God Okay, God calls Joshua to be strong and courageous. God calls the Israelites to be strong and courageous. God calls me to be strong and courageous. But remember, one of the themes is that God is faithful. And that God positions his people, when he does so, he equips them. So my next thought, my next logical thought is, okay, so if I'm called to be strong, if I'm called to be firm, if I'm called to be resolute, God doesn't, God doesn't put us in situations without giving us the solution. You know, God doesn't hang his people out to dry. He just doesn't throw us out there and say, hey, look, this is what I'm asking you to do. You better figure it out on your own. When he calls us to do something, he gives us the next steps. And so as I'm reading through this, I'm thinking, okay, if God calls me to be firm, then clearly God has given me where that firmness, where that strength, where that resolution needs to come from. So I started looking, okay, biblical firmness, biblical strength, where does that come from? Where is that rooted in? Consider Philippians 1, 27 through 28. Or I'm sorry, let me back up one. (laughs) Consider Joshua 1, 9. It lays it out. And remember, two sermons ago, I preached on Jesus in the Old Testament, right? We're going to see Jesus in Joshua 1. When we looked at the Old Testament, we looked at every book in the Old Testament, we looked at how Jesus was in Joshua 5, but you're going to see that Jesus is also in Joshua 1. Joshua 1, 1.9, be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you. So that's, that's the short answer. That's the quick, immediate right there on the surface. But when you dig down into it, you see that, again, this is pointing to the person of Jesus. You look at this idea of biblical firm, be firm. Jeremiah 17, seven through eight talks about this. Because one of the ways that that culture talked about the idea of strength and resoluteness is they used oaks or terebinths. Some of your translations might have it as terebinths. But that culture, the language in much of the Old Testament used an oak tree as an example of strength. And in Jeremiah 17, seven through eight, We see, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So the Old Testament introduced the idea that strength is like a tree planted by the Lord. Then you have one of my favorite passages, Isaiah 61, one through three. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance over our God, of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who, listen to this, this is verse three. The spirit of the, God, of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Don't miss that detail, that he may be glorified. Our firmness, our resoluteness, our strength, our uh, immobility, immovable nature. When we are firm and strong and resolute, God is glorified. So in Isaiah, he writes, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring this good news, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Why is, does anybody, quick question, anybody know why Isaiah 61 is such a well-known passage in the New Testament? It's one of the first ones that Jesus preached out of. Look at Luke 4. Luke four sixteen. And if you back up to Luke 4.14, it says Jesus begins his ministry. So one of the first passages that Jesus preaches out of and teaches out of is Isaiah 61. In Luke 4.16, And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor." He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. God is faithful to fulfill his promises, the theme of Joshua. God goes before us. He fights for us, the theme of Joshua. God positions his people, and in that positioning, he has equipped his people. Jesus says, this passage about you being planted firm, the Lord's planting, firm in righteousness, I fulfill it today. So that passage, that promise of the Lord has been fulfilled in our lives through the person of Jesus, in the person of Jesus, and in Jesus alone. I have no hope of being firm and immovable unless I am rooted in Jesus. If it's not Jesus, it's not happening. But this is where you see Jesus in the Old Testament, and why I think that's such a fascinating word that God uses, to be firm. Because when you begin to look at this idea of biblical firmness, of biblical strength and resolution, you wind up at the person of Jesus. And that's such an incredible, encouraging reminder. Right? One of the things I said is we're going through Joshua that it might encourage us. That's such an incredible reminder to me to know that the source of my resolution doesn't have to be me. I mean, be honest. Look at the world around us. Look at the opposition. Look at at all the objections. Look at all we face. Forget even, you know, on a big picture. Look at the difficulties of day-to-day life for so many people. If I thought that I had to supply my own strength and resolution, I wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. I, I, I wouldn't. If I thought that the source of my strength for that day had to come from me, I'm staying home. But so to know, to see God promise, be strong and courageous, for I am with you. To know that Jesus said, hey, that passage that promises that you will be planted by God, firm in righteousness, I have fulfilled that. That's such a joy and a relief. I'm not responsible for my own strength. You're not responsible for your own strength. The strength that we are called to is provided by and through Jesus. So what does it look like? If I am standing, okay, so God calls me to be strong. God calls me to be firm. God calls me to be courageous. It comes through Jesus. That's great. I I could have probably, you know, maybe you're sitting there like, I, I could have probably pieced those together. You're always talking about everything comes back to Jesus, so I I think I could have answered that question on my own. So what does it actually look like? Because remember, one of my favorite verses, James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. So if the Bible says be strong and courageous, I don't wanna just listen to that, I wanna actually do what it says. So what does that look like? What does biblical strength, biblical resoluteness, this idea of be strong and courageous, what does that look like in our day-to-day lives? And for this, we go to Philippians 1, 27 through 28. And then we'll also be in Philippians 4. Philippians 1. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Okay, so we're on the right track. Paul says, look, let your life be worthy of the gospel so that I hear that you're standing firm. So clearly, this is not something that is so subtle that it's indistinguishable from the world around it. right? Clearly this idea of standing firm is not so in the shadows that nobody notices because Paul hears about it. That's why I love all the details that are in scripture. Paul says, I hear about you standing firm. So clearly this is noticeable behavior. Clearly this is behavior that looks different than the world around them. Paul says that I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. And then he goes on, he he explains what that looks like. With one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel not frightened in anything by your opponents may you live in a manner worthy of the gospel that is may you stand firm in jesus what will that look like that will look like you striving side by side with one another for the gospel i mean gut check time Does the word striving describe my personal life for the gospel? Could we stand before the Lord and say, yes, my life could be described as I am striving for the gospel. Striving is not sitting back and waiting for opportunities to fall in your lap. Striving is not sitting back and letting other people take charge of it. Striving is not sitting back on the sidelines and allowing other people to do it. And you're like, no, I'm I'm in the cheering section. Like, evangelism, Rebecca, that's all you. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I support you in it. Like, good for you. But that's on you. That's not me. Is that striving for the gospel? Paul lays out, May I hear that you are standing firm in the faith, striving for the gospel. And then he says, Not frightened by your opponents. We sang that song. I'm not backing down from any giant because I know how this story ends. Striving is focusing on the call that God has placed before us, the promise that God has given us, rather than our opposition. Striving looks at the obstacles and says, okay, I'm going to push forward. I'm going to strive for the gospel. Why? Because I'm side by side with my church. I'm side- and our church is side by side with the other church. And the national church is side by side striving for the gospel. But I will be a part of it. And then I love this detail. I, I love this follow-up. He says that I might hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving for the gospel. And then he says, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Just like we looked at in the other passages that God may be glorified. When we are firm, and this is again, this is such an encouragement to me because it all points back to God. When I stand firmly, when I stand steadfast, when I stand resolute in the face of opposition, in the face of opponents, not focusing on them, that's a sign of salvation. That's a sign to them of salvation. So when the world who opposes the church looks at us and sees us standing firm side by side, that is a sign to them of God's truth and that God wins and it points to him. And then in Philippians 4 1, it says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He uses two words there that tell us that you've got to look at the preceding passage to fully understand that sentence. Because keep in mind, when he originally wrote this letter, it wouldn't have had those neat chapter breaks. This would have been one section, one letter that he wrote. So when he says, Therefore, stand firm thus, it says, okay, in order to understand that, when he says, therefore, stand firm thus, I need to back up to look at what he just said to understand this exhortation to stand firm. And when you back up and look at what Paul just said, you wind up in Philippians 3, 12 through 21. Why does Philippians 3, 12 stand out? Anybody remember? Who, who said it? What would you say? Relentless pursuit. What is the cultural vision that we have presented to this church? A culture of relentless pursuit. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Paul takes Philippians 3, 12 through 14, and he says, the logical conclusion of this, therefore, in light of this, stand firm thus. That's striving. That is striving for the gospel. That is what standing firm looks like as a church. As an individual. Regardless of opposition, regardless of the opponents, I will plant my feet in Jesus and only through his power, but through his power, will I stand firm for the gospel, regardless of what comes at me. This is what it looks like. And in these passages, in this idea of standing firm biblically, you see... That God positions people for his plan, and when he does so, he does so to be a testimony. What did it say? When you do this, this is a clear sign to them of your salvation. God deliberately positions his people to be a testimony to his glory. You see that we are called to live with courage and obedience, but it's rooted in faith in Yahweh. Make no mistake, what's that, Bible, what's that, what's that passage say? Not frightened in anything by your opponents. So if it acknowledges that you have opponents that it might be tempting to be frightened by, it tells me it's going to take courage to do this. This isn't easy. I've said this before, plenty of times, if you want easy, don't go to Jesus. I mean, if you're looking for an easy life, you are in the wrong seat this morning. If all you want from life is as easy as possible, Jesus is not the answer. He never promises easy. He never promises a lack of battles. He never promises a lack of opposition. But that's because we, we have a bad definition of easy, in my opinion. We'll talk about that at some later date. But Jesus doesn't promise easy. He promises a life of purpose. He promises that he is with us. He promises that he fights with us. He promises victory. So it says that you can stand firm and you are not frightened by your opponents. There are opponents who may seem frightening. But because of Jesus, you can stand there firm. You can stand there resolute and not be frightened. So the idea of losing a job is not scary because Jesus is with me. The idea of losing relationships is not scary because Jesus is with me. And there's very real emotional I mean that's emotionally scary. That that that's that's incredibly real. The idea of losing a job or losing family, losing friends. Right? I've run that risk of people saying, "If you bring up God one more time, I'm done." Okay, well, my alternative then is to not bring up God, and that, that's not happening. I don't want to lose that friendship. I don't want you to block my number. Hmm. But if the only way that's not going to happen is I have to stop bringing up Jesus, all right, man, then I'll delete my number from your phone myself. Because I'm not stopping bringing up Jesus. Even in the face of opposition, even when confronted by opponents, We don't have to be frightened because God is with us, because he fights for us. That's what strength and resolution looks like. That's what the church is called to look like. Doesn't matter the obstacles in front of us, we're not going anywhere. The pastor in Canada has been such an incredible, I can't think of his name right now, the guy who's been jailed, and actually multiple Canadian pastors have been jailed, there's one primary one, because they told him to stop meeting as a church And he said, I I can't. We're going to keep meeting as a church. We'll we'll follow every other rule you want to put in place. We have no problem with any other rule that you put in place, but we are going to keep meeting as a church. And he's in jail because of that. And one of the most amazing testimonies happened as a result of this. Because sadly, and I mean, this is really tragic, he faced a lot of backlash from Christians. A lot of Christians called him out for neglecting his family because he was jailed on Mother's Day. Like he was arrested on Mother's Day, right? And a lot of Christians were like, look, shame on you. You've you've abandoned your wife and kids. So many so that his wife, this is my favorite part of the story, his wife had to come out and say, stop saying my husband failed his family. He just did the most powerful thing he could for me and my children. He showed us That Jesus is his first priority and that he will stand for Jesus no matter what. I will never be able to thank him enough for the lesson that he just gave our family. That's what resolute looks like. That's what it means to be strong and courageous. Church, that's what we're asking you to do. We're asking you to plant your feet and strive for the gospel. Not just support those who are striving for the gospel. Not just say amen on a Sunday morning. Not say, hey, a oh, great sermon, great sermon. All right, what are you going to do with it? Well, probably nothing, but it was a great sermon. I, to be honest, I don't want to hear that. I would much rather you hear, or I hear you say, you know, I didn't really remember all of what you said, because I was just thinking about that idea of striving. And so I went out and I talked to my coworkers every day. I presented the gospel to my neighbors every day. That will bring me joy. I don't care if you forget my name. I really don't. I want people to know the name of Jesus. That's what we're asking you as a church to do, to be people who strive for the gospel side by side with one another because we'll be there striving with you, I promise you. I, 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 I will be there with you. We will strive together. The elders, we will strive together with you. We will come alongside you and support you, but we can't do it on our own, and we're not meant to do it on our own. Paul wrote, may I hear that you are standing firm with one mind, striving together side by side. This is the call of the church. And it is rooted in the promise and person of Yahweh, who has fought for us, who fights with us. This is what he says to Joshua, And then the last thing you look at, when you look at this idea, okay, God has called me to be strong and courageous. He has called the church to be strong and courageous. He's called you to be strong and courageous. He called Joshua to be strong and courageous and the people of Israel to be strong and courageous. This is what it looks like. It looks like striving for the gospel. It looks like standing firm. It looks like standing immovable in the face of opposition. Does God give any follow-up details? Does he give any other further instruction? Like, okay, God, I'm, I'm tracking with you. Is there anything else you can tell me that will help me with this? because i I, i'm gonna need direction i don't have the wisdom you do i need god's help in this and he does he gives joshua further instruction verse 7 and 8 only be strong and very courageous being careful to do according to all the law that moses my servant commanded you do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go don't don't miss that detail. Don't allow this verse to be, this is a verse that gets taken out of context so frequently. Oh, well, if I follow God, I'll have success in everything. I'll, I'll get that raise, I'll win the lottery, I'll buy a second boat, I'll never be sick. I'm promised success. Now look in the context of what success is. Success is standing firm in God. That, that's what success is. He says, do not depart to the right or the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. God says, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. What does that look like? What's a part of that? What plays a crucial role in that? Don't let this book depart from your mouth meditate on it day and night this isn't far eastern meditation where you're seeking to empty yourself this is biblical godly holy righteous concentration and contemplation this is not i read one verse a day on my little tear off calendar no this is the word of god defines my life it conforms me i don't come to scripture and expect it to bend to me i come to scripture and i align with it that's what meditate on it day and night is Elsewhere in Deuteronomy, you see, teach it to your children. Talk about it in your homes. Talk about it with your friends. God says, you want a life that's strong and courageous? The Word better be a part of it. Look at at the people in Scripture who are examples. Consider Job, who was described as the most righteous man on earth at the time. Job 23.12, Job says, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. David, the only man in Scripture called a man after God's own heart, David in Psalms 1 writes, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. I mean, in Psalms 1, 1 through 3, you see seven different ideas that we've already looked at this morning. The truth being that this is woven throughout Scripture. This is inescapable. Jeremiah 15, 16, Your words were found and I ate them and your words, God, became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. That verse challenges me so, I mean, man. Man. Could it be said that Sam, the delight of his heart, is the Word of God? What a standard. What a beautiful statement. Your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Luke 4.4, 4, Jesus answered Satan, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the second half of that is by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The unavoidable... Absolutely true reality that you come to over and over and over again in Scripture is that God's Word is intended to be at the core of our life. And so, if you're listening to this idea of strong and courageous, you're listening to this idea of be firm, be resolute, be immovable, strive for the gospel, if you're listening to all of this and it sounds too much, It sounds impossible, it sounds like it's meant for other people, just not you. And is it really the call on my life? The question I have to ask is, what's your relationship with the Word of God? I mean, if this is not a burden for Christians, I have to ask, what's our relationship with the Word of God? Is it more precious to us than our own food? How many of us, hands up, if you're like, oh my goodness, I forgot to eat for the last like three weeks. I just, I got so busy. You know, maybe we miss a meal, right? I got so busy, I missed a meal. How many of you are like, wow, that's crazy. I just, I got so distracted that I haven't eaten for like three weeks. How many Christians could be like, well, you know, I just, it's a really busy season. So I I really haven't had time for my Bible for the last month, year, year decade? Is the Word of God more precious to us than our food? Is it the delight of my heart? Is it what I desire, what I crave, what I long for? And I'm not saying this is going to be perfect. I'm not saying that every day. I, I, as a pastor, do not wake up every day and I'm like, man, before I even get dressed, I want time with the Word of God. There are days where I get distracted. There are days where it's a struggle for me. There are sections of a reading plan that are struggles. There are times where I have to remind myself, no, this is, this is essential to life. If I neglect this, it's gonna to be to my detriment. And I know that because there are times when I've neglected this and it's been to my detriment. It's amazing to me. I mean, not really amazing. It's amazing to my fallen flesh mind. But it's kind of coincidental how the times in life when I've been most stressed, and most anxious, and most irritable, and most angry, and most aggressive, the times when I've been least peaceful, the times when I've been least peace-seeking, peace-making, it's kind of a coincidence that those frequently wind up be the times where I'm the most disconnected from the Word of God. It's amazing that the times in my life when I've been able to respond in peace in situations that shouldn't warrant peace, when I've been able to respond gently, when I've been able to respond with joy, It's amazing that those seem to be the times when I'm most connected to the Word of God, when it's driving my everyday existence, when it's on my mind constantly. I genuinely find that the more time I spend in the Word of God, the more conversations seem to open up to proclaim the God. I mean, I'm I'm being dead serious. Right, if you look at the correlation of when Sam talks to random people about strangers, or random people about strangers, When when Sam talks to random strangers about Jesus, I feel like those are the days where I've spent the most time with God's Word. And it's not like there's some sort of magic because I read Psalms, somebody comes to me and asks. But what I found is the more time I spend in the Word of God, the more I'm burdened by the gospel. The more time I spend with God's Word, the more I'm burdened with, oh my goodness, hell is real, and that person might go to hell. Hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? Oh, you believe in Jesus? Thank goodness you're not going to hell. I'm burdened by the lost when I spend time with God's word. I'm overwhelmed with joy when I spend time with God's word. And it's like, man, I got to tell somebody about this. This is the greatest thing in my life. Hey, you, lady at Kroger who helped me find bread. Can I tell you about Jesus? He's awesome. He changed my life. He transformed it. It's when I'm disconnected that I'm like, eh, somebody else will get to them. I'm doing my own thing right now. God says, be strong and courageous. Do not turn from my law. It shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. And then scripture gives example time and time again that God's people are driven by the word of God, that it needs to define their lives. You go back to Ephesians 6. We were in Ephesians 6 earlier. If you go back to Ephesians 6, verses 16 through 17, it says, in all circumstances, keep those three words in mind, in all circumstances, circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one joshua theme the battle spiritual take the helmet of salvation joshua theme that god has equipped us and how he has positioned us and in all circumstances take up the sword of the spirit which is the word of god Friends, if you're here this morning, if you're joining us online and you're a believer, you are smack in the middle of war. You're, you are in a battle every day of your life. How in the world do you expect to fight if you never take the sword out of its sheath? How many of you, let's back up to whenever they fought with swords, right? Roman Empire, you get, hey, you're in the Roman army now. We're going to war in three days. We're gonna teach you how to use the sword. Nah. I'm good. I'll just show up and figure that the guy next to me knows how to use the sword. How many soldiers in the Roman army think declined sword training? I'm going to bet that not a single one did. And if they did, I'm going to bet they were among the first casualties on that battlefield. We're at war. God has given us the sword. We've got to learn to use it. We've got to learn to fight with it. This is what God directly connects to being strong and courageous is his word. And again, that's such an encouragement. I know I've said challenging things. I know some of you are probably thinking like, man, Sam kept saying that Joshua's gonna be encouraging. And all he does is throw out challenge. I know I've said challenging things, but this is an encouragement to me And it should be to you because once again in Joshua 1 through 9, I see that God has equipped me. God has fought for me. God fights with me. God has positioned me for his glory. It's not about me, so that pressure's gone. It's not about my own strength, so that pressure's gone. It's not about I don't know what to do. God told me what... I mean, really, it's pretty simple. God's like, hey, look... Here are the tools you need to fight here's how you fight here's why you fight here's the power you fight in and i'm like that seems really difficult this is like a professional chef showing up in my house and saying here are the ingredients here's how you prep them i did the cooking you just got to eat it and i'm like that's too much work man no god's like look i fight for you i've gone ahead of you i'm victorious I've equipped you, I've positioned you for my glory to be a testimony to my name. And we're like, "Mm, I'm good. Church, let's strive for the gospel. Why? Because it's about God and because he's equipped us to do so. That's awesome. That's exciting. This is the greatest honor anyone has ever been given in the history of humanity. So to recap, Joshua 1, 1 through 9. We're called to stand firm, theme five. This strength is provided by and through Jesus, themes one and theme four. In our lives, what will this look like as we stand firm in Jesus? Well, it'll look like striving for the gospel regardless of opposition. Three, four, five. You see Joshua resplendent and constantly throughout, or the themes rather resplendent and constantly throughout this chapter. And as part of this, make no mistake, God says that we must treasure and know and wield his word. He said this to Joshua. He says this throughout scripture to his people. He's saying this to us today. And so the challenge this week is going to deal with this directly, with this idea of meditate on his word day and night. Learn how to use it. Learn how to apply it. For reading, you have choices. Look at that. Some weeks I don't give you choices. You get a choice this week. Look at that control that you have. Either Isaiah 40, 28-31, or Philippians 4, 11 through 13 or James 1, 19-22. Pick one of these three passages. That's your reading. And then the application, the do, is study it. I'm not talking about read it once and be like, okay, cool, I know it. Find a reference Bible. If you don't have a reference Bible, let me know, I'll get you. I will put a reference Bible in your hands before you leave the doors this morning. Study the passage that you pick. Learn it. And then find three other passages in Scripture that deal with the ideas you see in this passage. Don't just stop there. I remember, how many times have we talked about the interconnectedness of Scripture, how it all supports one another? So pick a passage, right? I pick uh, Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. Okay, I read it, cool. I study it, okay, sweet. It talks about this, it talks about that. Where else does the Bible talk about that? Where else does the Bible deal with this? Find three passages, put it together. Pretend like you're gonna prepare a five-minute talk on this passage, a 10-minute talk. And then there's one final piece, too. Because when you, when you consider this idea of not just knowing the Word of God, not just knowing how to use it, but actually learning how to apply it, how would you use the passage you pick to point to Jesus specifically? Consider, what does this passage teach you about God? It all begins with God. So whichever passage you pick, consider, what do I learn about the person of Yahweh in this passage? But then actually really identify, how would I use this passage to point to Jesus? To point to Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. Learn how to use and apply God's word. Learn how to fight with the sword he's given us. And then the prayer is simple. Because like I said, there are days when we're not going to crave God's word. We're going to be overwhelmed. We're going to lose a loved one. We're going to lose a job. Our home's going to burn down. I mean, there are very real painful things that happen in this life that are going to distract us. It's when those distractions become a habit and a pattern that it becomes problematic. When the striving ceases to be true about our lives. So the prayer is simple. God, teach me to crave your word. This is one of my, this is, I I prayed this prayer years ago. Because I wasn't, I wasn't in a place where I craved God's word. I knew I needed to. And someone challenged me, someone I respect that said, have you ever prayed to crave God's word? Like to wake up, Lord, would you, when I wake up, would you just give me a burden for your word? And they were like, I dare you to pray. And I was in high school, so I was in that nice psychological state where if you dared me, I was like obligated to do it, right? Because my youthful ego couldn't take backing down from a dare. So a leader was like, I dare you to pray that you would crave God's word. And I did. Just every day, Lord, teach me to crave your word. You know what happened? I started to crave God's Word. Hey, do you want to do this? I do, but I also want to read God's Word more. Do you want to do this? No, I want to go spend time with God's Word. Pray, Lord, teach me to crave your Word. Teach me to crave. I mean, this idea of the Word of the Lord shall not depart from your mouth. What would that look like? What would that look like if the Word of God did not depart from the mouths of his people? But they meditated on it day and night. So, Father, teach us to live like this. Burden our hearts like this. And then teach us to know how to use it in our lives. Show us how to apply it. I think these are the encouragements that I see in Joshua 1, 1 through 9. This is what I want for us as a body. I want us to join in that battle, knowing that we fight with God. Church, let's be strong and courageous. Please join me in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you that it's not about us. Thank you that this doesn't have to be done in our own ability. Thank you that we don't even need to figure out the details of this. God, you have laid it out for us. You are so kind and good. So Lord, just teach us to be strong and courageous. Individually, would you show us what it means to plant our feet firmly in Jesus and stand resolute regardless of the opponents? Regardless of what the world tells us is a frightening situation, would you teach us to stand there immovable in you and strive for the gospel? May you burden us with this as individuals. Right now, God, for the people in this place, put their work location on their mind. Put their neighborhood on their mind, God. Bring to mind people in their lives who they need to strive for the gospel to. And then would you burden us collectively? Lord, we want to be people who are strong and courageous. It's impossible aside from you. We trust you, Lord. Do what only you can do in our lives and in this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.